There is an old Yugoslavian proverb which goes, if you wish to know what a man is, place him in authority. Hello, everyone. This is Red Brad, and you're listening to the Soccer Chaplains United podcast from the Touchline. Today in the United States, millions of Americans are waking up to the news of the U.S. presidential election results. And since we're recording this before any of the results have been announced or published, I won't be saying so much about whom has won the election, as I'll be speaking generally about authority and our role and response to authority and authority figures and institutions in our lives. So no matter where in the world you're listening to right now, no matter what political persuasions you find yourself embracing or rejecting, we'll be back to talk about authority right after this. He's found the space, and he's found the back of the net! Just a little off foot, thinking he's going to go far post. Not strong enough with his right hand. Whips that one in. Far post, almost made him in, and they have... He has the hat-trick, the second in his career, the third of the night, the hat-trick hero. Talked about you're not going to be able to sustain that kind of pressure. To the corner, goes towards the near post, and you're the angle, and what a goal! What a goal! Wednesday, November 4, has for a while now been a date circled on many American calendars. Although there may not even be a resolution yet as to the presidential election returns, that may take uh, some days or maybe even some weeks or months, who knows. There's a lot of uncertainty at this moment, and certainly it could be said that the 2020 elections are occurring during perhaps the most polarized and divided time in modern U.S. history. It remains to be seen still, but the 2020 elections might see the largest numbers of turnout of voters and potentially the greatest percentage of voter participation ever in U.S. history. But no matter what side of the aisle one tends to stand on, there's likely to be much hurt and pain on either side, depending on the election outcomes and the aftermath. So what's a podcast on faith, family, and football got to say and comment on U.S. political or presidential issues? Well, I want to speak today to a larger issue, and that is the issue of authority. Certainly, football or soccer has a unique place in the sporting world. The global dynamic, the spread of the game, means that soccer can have its own political and authoritative issues that impact what we call the most beautiful game. Football has had its own share of political cover-up and corruption, whether at the macro scale in the governing body we know as FIFA, or at a micro level where we see political posturing and backstabbing at a professional soccer club, or even at the local nonprofit youth club. As a chaplain in and around the game of soccer for nearly 20 years, I have seen and observed and experienced much in the way of the political nature of the game. In fact, perhaps the most frequent comment that I hear from many in and throughout the game is how quote-unquote political soccer is. From athletes at professional clubs, to parents at youth clubs, to coaches and executives and staffers at every level of the game, the majority consensus is that the game of soccer is one that is politically charged. So how do we respond to issues of authority? How do we respond when the politics, whether in football or in government, don't go our way. Now, when I say we, I want to be really clear that I'm speaking to Christian persons. Whether you're an athlete, a parent, a manager, a director of football, if you're someone that follows Jesus, there is a particular standard that you and I are called to follow. There's an attitude, an approach, a posture that we are to consider. Whether one identifies as Republican or Democrat, liberal or conservative, progressive or something else, I'll even go further to say that it doesn't really matter which country you call home 
or where your citizenship status resides. It also doesn't matter what ethnicity or culture you might claim as heritage or tradition or upbringing. As a Christ follower, there is a standard that we are held to that supersedes all of that, and it's over and above all other pledges of allegiance and loyalty. So I want to read a passage found in the book of Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. The larger section for reading purposes might go through verse 7 and even this entire chapter, but for the sake of time, I just want to cover these first five verses. Let me set a bit of the backdrop, too. You know, sometimes we don't understand well enough the times in which Scripture was written that might help give us some insight. The Apostle Paul here is writing these words to Christian believers who reside in Rome. And during these times, there were a few things going on. Namely, there were those who, in the name of religion, were subverting the Roman government, The Jewish people were constantly in a state of rebellion and revolt against the rule and reign of the Roman Empire, which they viewed as evil. But additionally, the beginnings of persecution against Christian people are starting to happen or they're soon to follow on. So as as I read Paul's letter and his words that are written in late 50 or early 60 AD, and, and going on from there, you'll see and perhaps notice that there's this tension that might arise for the Christian believer. Let me read. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience." Well, this is a massively important text, not only for today and in this moment for people in the United States, but for people in our world. And there's a few principles which are important, even for those involved in football. And I want to highlight some of these in the time we have remaining today. The first is a principle, the basis of authority. Essentially, God has put people into power. God has established governments and other institutions. Now, this can be difficult to reconcile. If we look out at the state of affairs our world is in or our countries are in, if we review the historical leaders who have maybe carried out violent and evil campaigns against the innocent and the vulnerable, or if we just even read today's headlines, we see governmental leaders and politicians are constantly uh, in the wrong. They're, they're constantly being called out. Uh, for football, if we look at the corruption that's rampant in football clubs or in management practices in soccer leagues and federations, well, we can certainly feel a bit incredulous at these words that Paul gives us in the Bible. How could a good, loving God put someone evil into power? Or if we're even gentler in our accusation, how could a good, loving God allow someone evil to be in power? I, I don't even think these questions have to exist at, at this high level of, of government. We, we might even think about these in terms of our, our work or our vocation, the places where we're employed. How could someone above me in authority, how can they keep getting away with this? These questions are really similar in likeness to a larger, more generalized question, and that is, how can a good God allow bad things to happen? 
The answer to these questions fall into a theological category of theodicy. Now, forgive the fancy words. Essentially, this is how we answer that God is good even in the midst of things that are evil. And to better understand this, we have to go back to the beginning of the Bible and the beginning of the story, the beginning of the creation of the world. We see that God put beauty and order into creation, but humanity rebelled. Tempted to sin by the devil, humankind broke relationship with God through disobedience. And so, a war is waged to this day between good and evil, and there's this constant temptation to disavow God, to leave God, to shun him, to put him aside. And that original sin, that original disobedience had and continues to have its consequences in this world to this very day. And so God has given us things like the law to show us what is right and wrong, and he's given government to enforce law, and these things help to restrain evil. Things like law, order, and rule are actually good things when properly and rightly exercised. But the truth is, the fallen nature of humanity means that even the good merits of something like law and governance will ultimately fall short. Origen, an early church leader, commented on this section of scriptures, and he said this, Nobody will deny that our senses, sight, sound, and thought, are given to us by God. But although we get them from God, what we do with them is up to us. God will judge us righteously for having abused what he gave us to use for good. Likewise, God's judgment against the authorities will be just if they have used the powers they have received according to their own ungodliness and not according to the laws of God. You know, sometimes this is difficult because we want immediacy to justice. We want justice against the Hitlers and the Amin's of the world, or, or we even want for them to never come into power. The truth is, though, that Satan, the devil, is still at work in this world, and the end of his reign is coming, but it is not yet. There will be a day when Jesus will rule in righteousness, truth, justice, and peace, but that day is not now. And until then, any uh, form of government will be deficient and it will fall short because our world is still fallen and sinful. You know, even a good government can only restrain evil. It cannot eradicate it. Not yet. For those of us in football, we we have to realize too that God has put people into power and into authority. So whether you're an athlete a manager, a staffer, an executive, or even an owner, there are structures of governance that have been instituted over and above. And very rarely do we have any control or influence into those things. So what does it mean that God has put these certain people into power? And and what of those who abuse their power or use their position wrongly? I'm trying to think of a, a simple example, and, I, and I've written a few things out, but essentially, if you think about the game of football, it has boundary lines. It has rules. And each of those things are designed and aimed toward making the game as beautiful and as pure as it can be. But it really can't happen because we're messed up people. That's why there's a referee and there's officials. They help govern the game. They make sure that the game is as fair as possible. They're responsible for keeping the integrity of the game and the laws and the rules that have evolved and developed over time. But even the referees have rules and competition uh, committees over them. And, and those committees, they review the aspects of the game, they make recommendations and adjustments, they create things like sanctions and fines and penalties, they keep a semblance of order and balance. They even review the, the ongoing actions and judgments of the officials to make sure that they're still maintaining the purity and the, and the balance of the game. 
And, and this isn't so much to acknowledge that there's rampant corruption, but it's really an admittance that there's imperfection. I, I think a lot, that's why we have uh, video reviewed nowadays. E, despite what you feel about that, there's a reason. It's because we know that we're imperfect, we're fallible, and we want to try and create the best way, the best form of this game. Because if not, if we lose respect for the game, if we lose respect for the rules, the regulations, if we ignore the whistle or the flag of the official, we're just going to damage the beautiful game and it will become a meaningless, ugly, and an altogether lost affair with the resulting revolt and anarchy. In the same way that the beautiful game is more beautiful when we see two teams and its complement of players playing by and abiding by the rules, so too governance and life is better when people abide by the laws that govern a people. Chrysostom, another early church leader, said this uh, in commenting about Paul in this passage. He said, Paul is speaking about a principle of authority itself. For that there should be rulers and ruled, and that these things should not just lapse into anarchy, with the people swaying like waves from one extreme to the other, is the work of God's wisdom. You see, friends, God's wisdom and God's grace are inherent within authority, within governance, in its many different forms and philosophies. It's really a way of restraining evil and keeping order. And it is imperfect, and it will be so until the time that God himself ultimately rules and reigns. But understanding this is important because understanding this helps lead us into this second principle that I think we gain from Romans 13, 1 through 5. If, if we can understand that God has placed people into power and authority, then it helps us to realize that we, and again, I'm, I'm talking about Christians here, we are called to be in a posture of submission to those in authority over us. Now, remember at the time Paul's writing, there's, there's those with a history of using religion as a means of exempting themselves from being good law-abiding citizens. Uh, th- there's those that excuse their behavior on the basis of the corruptions and the evil within the government to rebel and revolt. And Paul essentially is saying, yeah, Christians, uh, we can't do that. We're not going to do that. This is what Christ tells us to do. We're, we're not going to rebel. We're not going to revolt against this form of government. Uh, Chrysostom, again, in a, a sermon on Romans, says that Paul essentially is combating a myth that the apostles were preaching and teaching rebellion and revolt against governmental authority and institutions. The truth is Christ commands us to obey authorities and to go the extra mile. As Jesus followers, our lives are to be exemplified and modeled with love. We're called to submit to authority because as God institutes authority, we are really submitting. When we submit to authority, we're submitting to God. Whether the authority asks us to wear masks or social distance, and these are the places where our faith can be really demonstrable. I I know it's difficult in football though. You know, when someone in authority or power changes, it's tough. You know, maybe it's a player that sees a new manager brought in, or maybe it's a staff person that gets a new boss. For a club, it it could be getting a new owner. When we see those shifts and changes of authority, we can often feel a loss. Uh, An athlete falls out of favor with a manager, or a staffer misses out on a promotion. Or as a club or as fans, we get asked to embrace a different culture or different values, or maybe the job changes with a new philosophy, the team changes with a new, a new set of rules that come down from a new regime. Well, where those things are not sinful or in conflict with anything God commands us to do, as Christians, we're called to submit to that authority. Now, 
at this point, it has to be said that those in power and authority are also under authority. They are under the authority of God, as it says in the text. And ultimately, being a Christian doesn't mean that we're just doormats. We're not beholden to obey or submit to a government or a power or an authority that is overstepping their God-given power or authority. If we're being asked to do something unethical or immoral, we are not to submit to that authority. Instead, we're to resist it. We're called to obey God first. And if government or authority is out of alignment with God's commands and his law, we are not held to obey. One of my heroes of the faith in this is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. A German Christian pastor during World War II in Nazi Germany, Bonhoeffer became part of the resistance movement and was part of a failed plot to assassinate Hitler. He was arrested because of his his evasion of military service, and he died by hanging just days before his concentration camp was liberated by Allied forces. In Bonhoeffer's writings, we we see much of the reflection of the tension and, and his work to understand and discern, at which point do I make departures from what the authorities of my day are saying? The authorities both in the government and even in church leadership. Bonhoeffer wrestled with both of these things, and he saw the government and the church saying and doing two different things opposed to what God was saying. Now, some might say Bonhoeffer died more for his political views than for his faith, but I believe he came to a place where his faith shaped his politics and his actions. And as followers of Jesus, it's not easy, but there are places where we cannot compromise our faith for a blind following of of government or a blind following of Republican or Democratic kind of values and views, especially when those values and views are in conflict with God. Now, perhaps the best biblical response to this kind of attention might be found in Peter and John's response to the religious governing authority of their day, the Jewish Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was commanding uh, uh, Peter and John to come in and, and stop preaching and teaching the people about Jesus. And they really didn't know what to do with them. So they seize them, they, they throw them in jail, and then they bring them before this ecclesiastical body. And they were told, uh, you can't teach Jesus anymore. You can't preach about him. And to this, we read their profound statement in Acts chapter 4, verses 19 through 20. Peter and John speaking say, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. You know, when any authority or any person in power demands us to disobey the law that we know to be true or to go against God's commands, we are released from submission to that authority. We're called to obey God first and foremost, not a corrupt system or a person who is in contradiction with God. Well, that leads me to the third and final principle, and I know I've gone a little long today, so thanks for hanging with me, but the third and final principle I want to speak to today is the motivation behind our submission to authority. And for me, this is the linchpin. This is critical to our understanding, and it'll demonstrate whether we truly get it. Paul writes this in verse 5. I'm going to read it again. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. You know, there are clearly consequences for not submitting to authority. And aside from the moments and times when we're called to resist, like Bonhoeffer, there's a greater motivation than merely escaping pain or punishment. It is, as Paul puts it, a matter of conscience. For Paul, he's not saying that conscience here is distinctively a Christian thing. Conscience used here is in the sense of the moral sensibilities that people in the ancient world would have had. Paul goes on, though, to connect a love, if you read on further in chapter 13, 
to the way that a Christian is to act and respond. In other words, we might understand that there are some common sense ways in which we are to act and respond to authority, and it's nothing special. It takes no special gift or requirement for, you don't even have to be a Christian to possess and know what those, what that response is. The uniqueness for the Jesus following person is that love and faith color and characterize the submission to authority. Well, what does this look like in football? As a chaplain, I just can't even count the very many times I've counseled or coached someone in taking the higher road when it came to dealing with the political backstabbing and maneuvering that goes on in the game. Athletes have come to me. They've got issues against their teammates or coaches or technical directors or owners. I've sat with coaches and managers that were at odds with team presidents and team chairmen. I've encouraged executives and owners who were faced with difficulties and and sanctions and, and rules and things coming down from the league and the federation and higher governing bodies and authorities. For those that identify as Christians, the, the charge and command is so difficult because our natural instinct is to strike out, to strike back. And a lot of the ways this happens today is through words on social media. We go into this defensive and offensive posture when we're faced with, with an authority that comes in and, and seems to be oppressive. But as Paul says, we are called to submit as a matter of conscience. You know, sometimes I feel bad for us as Christians in the football world because we are to live and play to a different set of rules and standards than the world does. But you know what? God blesses us when we do. I've seen athletes gain a newfound respect with a coach that they were at odds with. I've seen coaches retained in the midst of a a reorganization. I've seen executives and owners vindicated when they've persevered through a trying time of sanction and penalty. You know, the easier thing in football is to slide along the lines of corruption. It's easier to abuse power. It's It's easier to abuse and use people. But for those that resist, for those that humbly submit to the authorities in their lives, God blesses those people, not always right away, but in due time. Well, I know I've gone really long today, but to sum it up, I just want to remind us the three principles we see in Romans 13, 1 through 5. And I encourage you to read the entire chapter 13 of Romans, perhaps as an encouragement today, no matter what side of the aisle you declare yourself to be on, and no matter if your candidate or your issue succeeded and won the day. First principle, God establishes and institutes authority. It is a grace to us and part of God's wisdom to restrain evil and to enforce law and order. It is imperfect, always, and will be so until the day that Jesus finally rules. The second principle, as Christians, we are called to submit to authority and leaders in power. Where that authority and power isn't in conflict with God's word, his commands, or his law, we have a civic and social responsibility to submit. And it is more than just being a good citizen. It's a direct expression and witness of our faith. Finally, our motivation for submission to authority is to be one of conscience and characterized by love. There may be those who submit out of fear. There are those who submit with ulterior motives. Our submission as Christians can be guided by the common sensibilities that God has granted us and ought to be acted out with love towards others. Paul drives us home just a few verses later as he writes that the commands given by God and, quote, whatever other commandment there may be, are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is a fulfillment of the law. End quote. Friends, today, no matter where we are, no matter what political affiliations, no matter what color your party is, 
Let us lead and live with love. And let us submit to and pray for those whom God has placed into authority over us as they seek to govern and are in accordance with God himself. As we end the pod today, I want to pray a paraphrased version of 1 Corinthians 13. Many times we hear 1 Corinthians 13 referred to as the love chapter, and it's often said and preached at weddings and the like. A pastor friend of mine shared this, though, with a group of us, and I'm sure you can find a copy somewhere out there on social media. If you're struggling with the authorities in your life, whether it has to do with the election outcomes, whether it has to do with parental authority figures, or if it has to do with authorities in the management and operation of the beautiful game of soccer, I hope that you will receive these words as a prayer. These words that recognize God as the ultimate authority and remind us that we are to be a people. We are to be citizens, footballers, Christians, characterized by love. God's love in us and God's love expressed outward toward our neighbor, whomever that might be. If I speak in the rhetoric of politicians or the eloquence of scholars, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have profound insight and understand all policies and ballot issues, and if I have a persuasive and clear sales pitch so as to sway the vote, but have not love, I am nothing. If I participate in various forms of philanthropy and work till I die for reform, but have not love, I gain nothing. No matter what I say, what I believe, what I do, or how I vote, I'm bankrupt without love. Love is patient and kind to those across the political aisle. Love is not arrogant or rude before an election. It does not boast in victory, nor does it complain or retaliate in defeat. Love doesn't strut with a swollen head or force its political views on others. It does not insist on my way or the highway, but it seeks to understand those in another camp. It is not irritable, resentful, degrading, or dehumanizing, in person, online, or in thought. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears with broken people and broken systems because it ultimately trusts God always. Love always looks for the best in people and parties, no matter the outcome. Love never looks back, but keeps on pressing to the end. Amen. This is Rev. Brad coming to you from the Touchline.